0: This is Radio Parallax, a slightly different perspective from a slightly different view, with topics that include matters in science, technology, history, politics, current events, and whatever we damn well please. And now the host of Radio Parallax, Douglas Everett. Welcome to the program. As promised, we are bringing back to today's show Mary Roach to talk about her fantastic new book, Packing for Mars. The Curious Science of Life in the Void. We note with some degree of happiness that uh, two of our main sources for this program, New Scientist Magazine and The Week Magazine, both feature Mary this week. New Scientist has a favorable review of her book, and The Week allowed her to pick the best books section on their The Book List page. And we note with some degree of happiness that we may have facilitated Mary's appearance on Planetary Radio. I sent Matt Kaplan an email last week asking if he was interested and said he'd just seen her on uh, The Daily Show, and yes, he was. So I presume that uh, that's been recorded for future airing on their program as well. Mary Roach always seeks in her writing to be informative and fun. Two goals we share on this program. So by all means, stay tuned for our second segment today for our talk with Mary Roach. Let us begin today's program, as we like to do, with On This Date in History. Our date today is the 12th of August. It was on August 12th in 1508 that the Spanish explorer Juan Ponce de Leon landed in Puerto Rico. And you know if that's our leading item, not a hell of a lot happened on August 12th. In fact, days like this are sometimes a bit comical. How about this one? It was on August 12th in 1530 in Italy that Florence was restored to the Medicis after a siege of 10 months. Or how about this? On August 12th in 1759 at the Battle of Kunersdorf in the Seven Years' War, the Russians under General Soltikov and the Austrians under General Landon defeat 40,000 Prussians under Frederick the Great. Wait, wait, stay awake. There's more. On this date in 1851, in New York City, Isaac Singer patented the revolutionary double treadle sewing machine. And boy, if you ever tried to work a single treadle machine, you know what a relief that must have been. Actually, I confess, I don't even know what I'm talking about here. Uh, All right, how about this? April 12, 1865, English surgeon Joseph Lister is the first to use disinfectant during an operation. The mouthwash brand Listerine was later named after him. Actually, we do have a couple of interesting ones here. August 12, 1960, Echo One, the world's first experimental communications satellite, was launched from Cape Canaveral. I remember Echo One as a small boy. It was a balloon, something like 100 feet across, and, and radio waves were bounced off of it passively. Here's something actually significant. August 12, 1961, in an effort to stem the tide of refugees attempting to leave East Berlin, the communist government of East Germany began building the Berlin Wall. Thankfully, less than 30 years later, it was torn down. Our quote of the day comes from astronaut Jim Lovell, who said, there are people who make things happen, there are people who watch things happen, and there are people who wonder, what happened? Our quip of the day comes from uh, former Radio Parallax guest General Chuck Yeager, who famously once commented about the fact that NASA was putting chimps in space before humans. Well, I wouldn't want went to, to sweep monkey crap off the seat before I climbed into the capsule. I do have to confess that when we interviewed General Yeager and I tried to bring that uh, quote up, I was laughing so hard I'm not sure we got a good sound bite on that one. All right, our joke of the day is as follows. The Russian space agency had fallen on hard times. The director called a meeting to address the cosmonauts. and said, I have some good news and some bad news. The cosmonauts all shout, give us the good news first. All right, says the director. You're all going to get a change of underwear. The cosmonauts all cheered but then said, What is bad news? Director continued, Well, Group A is to change with B. Group B is to change with C. Our preliminary stat of the day comes from the new director of the Planetary Society, Bill Nye, the science guy, who notes that over 500 people now have flown in space. We're calling that a preliminary stat because we want to know the exact number. We'll see if we can't find that by next week. All right, let's jump into the good, the bad, and the ugly. It was a good week last week for those who find Star Trek inspirational when it was revealed that human beings apparently do undergo something like the Vulcan mind meld. Using a functional MRI, researchers have found that people listening to stories that they're enjoying synchronize their brain waves to that of the speaker. Turns out if the listener didn't like or didn't understand what was being said, the effect disappears and the brain patterns decouple. And we are definitely going to take a closer look at this in future installments of this show. It was, on the other hand, a bad week for Roger Maris and Mickey Mantle. After a review of their 1961 season with the Yankees, revealed they were credited with an extra RBI and scored run, respectively. Their records were updated, causing each to lose his league title that season in those categories. Okay, word to all you baseball statistician types Get a life. And it was kind of an ugly week last week for thanking employees for their time with the company. When it was revealed that the Miami Heat's ticket sales department, which had sold out every seat for the entire season after signing star players LeBron James and Chris Bosh, then turned around and fired the 30-person ticket sales department, saying that they were no longer needed. Said a team spokesman, we thank those employees for their time with the company. All right, from the Week magazine's Only in America file, we have the fact that a Florida burglar is now suing the man whose van he broke into. Michael Dupree, now serving a 12-year jail term, is seeking $500,000, saying that three men knelt on his back and handcuffed him while waiting for police, which caused, quote, permanent disabilities and psychological disorders, unquote. Van owner Anthony McCoy said he merely put Dupree in his shoulder hold. What gall, he said. I'm the victim. That may be, Anthony, but you live in America. How about this one from the miscellaneous file? The Japanese government has called for a nationwide check on the whereabouts of the elderly after revelations that several people thought to be among the country's oldest were, in fact, dead or missing. Turns out that last week... Police looking for Tokyo's oldest man, believed to be 111, found instead his mummified remains. He apparently had died 30 years ago and his children were still collecting benefits on his behalf. And this week, local authorities said Tokyo's oldest woman, supposedly 113, could not be found and is now presumed dead. Said Health Minister Akira Nakatsuma... It is important for authorities to grasp the reality of where and how old people are living. Yes, especially if they are living. And from the idiot file, we have the following. In Spain, the regional parliament of Catalonia voted 68 to 55 to ban the bullfight. You know, we love the Week magazine. Uh, They had a briefing on uh, this possible end of La Corrida. Here is their description of the three movements, or... Tercios of the Corrida. There's the Tercio de Varas, where the bulls are lanced from men on horseback. There's the Tercio de Banderias, where barbs are shoved into their shoulders. And finally, the Tercio de Muerte, where they are stabbed to death, sometimes clumsily, in the heart. Historians say that the idea of a contest between man and bull was introduced to Spain by the Romans. Apparently kings and aristocrats in the 8th century would fight bulls from horseback and the practice spread with the conquistadores to Central and Latin America. And Why we're still putting on <laughs> entertainment from the era of the Roman gladiator has been a long-time puzzle for this program. We're pleased to note the stat that about 80%, 80% of Spaniards below the age of 35 say they have no interest in bullfighting. So let's hope this sport of uh, fools and sadists can be brought to an end soon. All right, as long as we're griping, uh, how about this one? Sacramento's mayor, Kevin Johnson, is getting married next month, and the event's apparently going to be held at the home of Angelo Sacopoulos, one of the Sacramento region's biggest land developers. Said so the Sacramento Bee in an editorial Sakopoulos has long had business before the city. He and his family own property in Natomas, downtown. In other parts of the city. Entitlements granted or denied by a municipality can make a landowner wealthy or in arrears. So by agreeing to hold the reception at the developer's home, Kevin Johnson has put himself in a position in which, in the future, he may be asked to decide on city permits that could benefit his wedding host. In the paper, there are legal limits on campaign contributions and recipients are required to report them. There is no limit on the gifts Socopolos is providing the mayor by offering up his Arden Oaks mansion for a wedding party. Plain and simple, Johnson's decision to accept Socopolos' offer shows a disappointing lack of judgment. He ran for office promising to be a different kind of politician. Now he's engaging in a practice that, while legal, only undermines the public's trust. Another article will be by Carlos Alcala about uh, Austin Sendek, the hella guy. Well, Austin's gotten a lot of publicity. They're not going to change the unit of 10 to the 27th to Hela, but uh, people find this rather whimsical. But no one in the physics department has found their way yet to radio parallax, so that's about all we're going to say about this. We offered you guys a chance to talk about it. If you don't want to take us up on it, fine. Some follow-up, Parade Magazine had an article by Dr. Ranit Mishori about the new whooping cough epidemic. Actually, I had a patient that appeared to have this a few days ago. Turns out if you've been exposed and started on antibiotics promptly, as she did, it appears to have a benefit. The case you get probably is going to be milder, and uh, you may not get it at all if you're lucky. Of four people in her case, four family members that were exposed to someone else that had a whooping cough, three did not get uh, pertussis at all. Only the patient that saw me did, which is probably evidence that if you're exposed, you should, you know, see the doctor and get, get on something. But the main way to prevent this is through vaccination. We'll we'll return to that topic later. Article about something else we talked about uh, a month or two ago. Article by Frank Roylance from the Baltimore Sun reprinted in the Sacramento Bee about how schizophrenia may be linked to a cat parasite. Yeah, we talked a few weeks back about how uh, antibodies to Toxoplasma gondii appear to be related to people that have schizophrenia. The good news uh, to this story is that this may have some preventative implications for the future. Being that we have access here to one of the best veterinary schools in the world, though we probably ought to ask some folks over there about how we can keep your cat from having uh, toxoplasma in the first place. Because I don't know the answer to that. Speaking of research at UC Davis, a lot of publicity has come out of the fact that a UCD study on imported Olive oil has shown that uh, 69% of imported brands that were branded as extra virgin did not meet the international standards of the label. Apparently only 10% of California oil sampled did not meet the standard. So if you're going to buy some extra virgin olive oil, you might want to think about going domestic. In the wake of this study, a group of prominent California restaurateurs and and chefs are uh, suing some retailers over the fact that their oils were not as pure as they were marketed. And if you've ever wondered what extra virgin means, and I certainly have, it indicates that the oil was extracted without the use of heat or chemicals. It also certifies that it's pure, that it satisfies a taste test, and it falls within certain chemical parameters established by the International Olive Council. Turns out the U.S. is the world's third largest consumer of olive oil, and 99% of it comes from overseas. Speaking of oil, the debate continues over how much damage was done by the world's largest accidental oil spill, the the Deepwater Horizon well of BP. To hear some people tell it, the problem's just about over already. Quote from an AP article by Seth Borenstein and Kane Bordeaux. Government report Wednesday claims that all but 53 million gallons of the leaked oil from BP's Deepwater Horizon well are gone. The report says the cleanup extracted a lot of it, but... Natural processes that break up, evaporate, and dissolve oil took care of 84 million gallons, more than twice the amount human efforts removed. But on Truthout.org, Dar Jamal and Erica Blumenfeld have taken a different view. To quote from their piece, a campaign that peaked this week, with the U.S. government clearly acting in BP's best interests, itself announcing, via outlets willing to allow themselves to be used to transfer the propaganda, like the New York Times, this message, quote, The government is expected to announce on Wednesday that three-quarters of the oil from the Deepwater Horizon leak has already evaporated, dispersed, been captured, or otherwise eliminated, and that much of the rest is so diluted that it does not seem to pose much additional risk of harm. Note to the authors, the Times was accommodating enough to lead the story with a nice photo of a fishing boat mooring across clean water with several birds in the foreground. This message was disseminated far and wide via other mainstream media outlets like the AP and Reuters, effectively announcing to the masses that despite the Gulf of Mexico suffering the largest marine oil disaster in U.S. history, most of the oil was simply gone. Thus, it's only what's on the surface that counts. If you can't see it, there's not a problem. Note to the authors, this kind of government cover-up is nothing new, of course. It's well known that after the Chernobyl accident, the Soviet government immediately did everything possible to conceal the fact of the accident and its consequences for the population and environment. It issued top-secret instructions to classify all data on the accident, especially as regards the health of the affected population. Well, we don't know that the Gulf, uh, the Gulf disaster is quite, a, is, is quite in the level of a Chernobyl. And frankly, we hope the stories that say that this oil is mostly gone are correct, but we have our suspicions. All right, uh, let's take a break in a minute. Before we do, I want to talk about the fact that apparently we have all been deceived by Morphosaurs. At least that's what New Scientist magazine said, based on a review of uh, various dinosaur skeletons that now reveal that, well, some things we thought were different species were apparently dinosaurs in different states of development. In fact, the much-beloved Triceratops appears to have been a juvenile form of a dinosaur known as... Torosaurus. Now normally they'd rename Triceratops as Taurosaurus, but they named uh, Triceratops first, but Triceratops was discovered first, named first, and so they're going to rename <laughs> they're going to rename Torosaurus now as I guess the adult form of Triceratops. I don't know how they're going to work it out exactly. But among other things, a juvenile form of the Tyrannosaurus Rex has now apparently been properly placed. So say goodbye to Nano Tyrannus. This doesn't really change anything in a major way, but it certainly shows that we uh, did not appreciate the full extent to which these animals changed their shape as they reached their full adult size. All right, final item of the segment, a bit of intriguing science as reported by The Economist. According to a study published this week in the Proceedings of the National Academy of Sciences, a sugary, fat-laden Western diet wreaks profound changes on children's gut bacteria and could even promote the risk of asthma, allergies, and other inflammatory diseases. Noted the magazine, rates of inflammatory disease have been rising for decades among adults and children alike. Puzzlingly, this increase has occurred largely in developed countries and have bypassed poorer places. Noted the magazine, rural poverty brings many hardships. Inflammatory bowel disease is not among them. This has left scientists struggling to pinpoint exactly what about the rich world is making people sick. Well, it turns out it may be our diet. They studied children in uh, Burkina Faso in Africa versus those in Italy, and noted that among children who had graduated to the local diet, the two groups diverged dramatically, although they were similar as toddlers. In Africa, fiber-rich meals of millet, legumes, and other vegetables fostered a diverse mix of bacteria. The European children, who imbibed typically Western doses of sugar, fat, and meat, had fewer microbial species. Though the Italian kids were healthy, they harbored more than three times as many species which are associated with causing diarrhea, leading the researchers to speculate that reduced intestinal diversity could permit unwelcome bugs to gain a foothold. This is very interesting stuff. Uh, We've said for a long time on this show that when they get their act together and really figure out how to do probiotics, we're going to see uh, some wonderful uh, benefits to humanity. There surely are such things as, you know, uh, healthy intestinal gut flora. <laughs> we're just trying to figure out what that is. Once we do, we can, you know, start creating it. <laughs> let's take a short break. You're listening to Radio Parallax. I'm Douglas Everett, and we're going to have an interesting talk in the next segment with Mary Roach.